now still in love with the X, the podcast for anyone who has ever been to Exeter University. Stand by for your hosts, Alex Borchardt, and first, Tony Hall. And episode three, University Radio Exeter. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Welcome to Still in Love with the X, a podcast where we get the band back together, so to speak. My name is Tony Horn. I'm in Lancashire. And in Exeter, Devon, is Alex Borchardt. Well, as ever, um, I say that as this is our third episode, a quick look back at episode two briefly and token mentions for Spudulike and Mad Megs to be expanded upon in future <laughs> episodes. Alex, I did recall before we move into today's themes, you talked about Cathedral Close. There was a tea shop on the corner run by a quite nervous elderly man, I would guess, in his 50s. I don't know what it was called. I don't have much to say about it, but I hope this spurs a memory on, and that is that whenever you walked in there, he would say something like, Come on in. Plenty of room upstairs. Not that I'm trying to get rid of you. He did. And he was a typical character that you had in the 80s in Devon tea shops. I think they've they've died out. You remember the kind of man you used to have in menswear shops? Incredibly awkward to talk to. And they soon died out after they were sent up by it wasn't Harry and Paul with their Suits You Sir sketches. All of a sudden, you didn't have camp people in clothes shops anymore like that. I don't know. Awkward 40-something, 50-something men in tea shops. That was very Devon at the time. I suppose in a kind of Basil Fawlty way, but not Correct. Yeah. But it seemed an imposition when students turned up. And we did. I remember the summer of 92. It was my last term at Exeter. And my good friend, Alison Clavier, who I used to host a program with on, on University Radio Exeter, more about that later, called Hit or Miss, she and a good friend of both of us called Heather Gillis. Hello, Heather, if you're listening. We had something called Pim's Day, which was Alison's birthday. And we sat outside Lofrauda in the baking sunshine, drinking Pim's all afternoon. And the plan right the way through was to drink Pim's all afternoon and then stagger all the way down to the Cathedral Close and go to Tinley's Tea Shop for a very civilised cream tea. And, of course, we turned up absolutely plastered. And Alison failed to sit down on a chair correctly and brought a whole lot of cutlery and crockery down with her, much to the disgust of the very sensible people sitting at other tables. It was called Tinley's then. It was called um, Tinley's, and it looked like it had been there for decades. But because of the way that city councils exploit shopkeepers in the UK, it was bound to be replaced by a chain. I don't want to tarnish the memory, but I think... And as we will say every episode, we are zoning in on our years post-1989, but the university experience has many universal memories. And I think that that is probably one of them. And so much so that I would say that if you didn't go for a cream tea at what I now know is called Tinley's, then what the hell were you doing for three or four years? Also, we made the point that many of our stories begin at the university radio station so we will try not to over 
do it. I've listened back to episode two, too much university radio in there. <laughs> but at this point, we've probably rustled up a mere couple of dozen listeners, and we probably would assume that they are the people uh, closest to us and therefore would have a, an interest in the university radio station. And So we're in double digits. That's a start. You know, it's better than nothing. And it can't go down. <laughs> no, it can't. Can I just roll back um, to what you were saying about, about reference points? Because I think, you know, if we look into that, you could say you're not fit to wear the University of Exeter sweatshirt or to, to own the probably the best university in the world mug or car sticker if you haven't been to Tinley's in the late 80s, if you haven't been to Mad Meg's, if you haven't been to the Double Logs, if you haven't been to the Lemon Grove, the Ram, the U, the Boot, the Welly, all of those... If you haven't been to them, you're not really an ex-university student. So at the end of our last episode, we spoke of the very first time that we walked under the steps of Devonshire House, and that was yeah. a phrase that would come out on the radio many times. Today, the radio station is called Expression FM. In our day, it was called University Radio Exeter. And I think... As a footnote, we will run this series of podcasts like term time. We'll do 10, yeah? So 10 weeks of term. We'll limit ourselves to one University Radio Exeter episode per term, I hope. So we have plenty of time to tell plenty of stories. That makes this the easiest episode to record, but of course also the hardest because we'll go all over the place in no particular chronological order including and you may have to wait 15 episodes for this the extraordinary summer i think when we came back and there was a proposal that university radio extra not be called expression fm but sex fm and the details and the crazy story behind that lie ahead but let's go back to October 1989. Alex, on his first day, is interviewed by James Brokenshaw, dear friend. And I also meet James Brokenshaw and the station manager, Mike Penny. Now, this is different for me than it is for Alex, because I look back from 34 years of almost of working in professional radio. And Alex, whilst still having a very big interest in radio, especially the technical side, mm -hmm. will see things from a completely different point of view. So this is quite a hard question, but what do you think was the University Radio Exeter that we found when we arrived in October 1989? And I mean that question from a technical point of view and from a content point of view and from a community point of view. Was it any good? And take off those rose-tinted spectacles before you start. I'm sorry. Those rose-tinted spectacles are welded on. I can't take them off. It was the best place on campus. I loved it then. I still love it, even though it doesn't exist. I, I walked there the other day. Not only is the studio gone, the steps have been removed. You can't take the steps up to that entrance to Devonshire House anymore. It's just some backyard. Uh, you, you access Devonshire House through multiple portals um but the steps to dh they're they're gone as is the peking memorial do you remember that the tiananmen square memorial so those who are under the age of 45 may not remember that a major thing happened in 
Tiananmen Square in Beijing, when somebody had the audacity to stand up to a tank, stood in front of a tank and said, no, I'm not going to get out of the way. I'm tired of communism. Enough. And at the same time, communism was collapsing all over the former USSR. Cuba was in trouble. China was, was really up against it. But being China, they found a way through and they're still communist ruled. But that was a defining moment in history. But Tiananmen Square was something that a lot of students, a lot of members of Amnesty International really cared about. And there was a beautifully sculpted memorial of somebody out there protesting. And it's rather sad that it's gone now. But for many years, we all walked past the Peking Memorial. And I remember Nick Thatcher, excellent broadcaster, cut his teeth on University Radio Exeter. He'd always mention it saying, walk past the Peking Memorial. Wasn't peeking at me when I went past. And it was almost funny at the time. It made me smile. And actually, Alex, you make a really good point there. It was almost funny at the time. And he said it every time. So when... I asked the question, what was the University Radio Exeter that we found? And I footnote that I say this, you know, having had a career in radio, I have drawn the conclusion, and I know that I'm right on this, that it was a lot of people playing with the medium rather than playing through it. And what I mean is that it was self-serving. It's very difficult to know, despite the university radio station's fixed annual survey of how listeners were listening, if, in fact, the people that were listening were exclusively university radio Exeter personnel or their friends. And again, you know, I wonder if there are people that spent three to four years at Exeter University and never ever listen to it from a contextual point of view time-wise and Alex will have a particular interest in this well firstly it was a dream come true to walk into a radio studio having visualized through my teens what that might be like I'd heard all this talk of cartridges the things you play the commercials and jingles on reel-to-reel tape machines which you probably understand faders which are the buttons that control volumes, etc., and start things. And on that basis, and I realize this makes one sound old school, and I'm okay with that, that's a hell of a grounding. And having gone through the eras in radio where CDs replace vinyl, digital pl- replaces everything, I know that I'd always be more comfortable physically seeing a record going round or lining up the next thing in a studio and the budget to run all of this i think for a year was less than a grand it was 900 and something that included the license that included the electricity included the budget to go out and buy records because we got sent hundreds of records every month by record companies that had something to promote there might be an up-and-coming band but if somebody loved the new michael bolton album it was cheaper to buy the the lp which had four or five singles on it than to buy the individual singles. So, you know, we had to go to our price and, and buy records every week. We, we had a weekly show it was done by James Pierce in the second year. I think I did in third year, hit or miss, which was the equivalent to what was round table on radio one. Remember that? No, every Tuesday, the new records come out, I believe, and they would review them and hit or miss was our program to do that. But of course, to play the top 10, to have the URE chart, we had to somehow have the records to be able to play them. And we, we couldn't afford 
to to buy the top 30 singles so we we you mentioned reel to reel tapes we we had recordings of the current singles that might be somebody brought their cd and recorded it back in 89 90 we didn't have a cd player in the studio that's how archaic it was we didn't have one until i brought one in and installed it for the children need special but it was all a final and if we were a bit sneaky it was recorded off air from other radio stations flouting many broadcast regulations but the station manager of the second year mr malcolm taylor extraordinary person very sadly no longer with us he said i said what's the copyright issue with this how what can we play he said anything that's been released we can play it well, there we go and it doesn't matter really what format it is. it's all a medium wave so it doesn't really matter if we're playing it off cassette or cd or vinyl it's, it's pretty much going to sound the same certainly not going to be stereo unless you're in the supermarket and kids that's not the law okay extraordinarily we did play off cassette and in fact a couple of things i'll come to the cassette in a sec but you remind me there alex that if we were to scroll forward and again, I'll put this in a professional context and work out what we actually took from University Radio Exeter. One of the most impressive things was the incredible amount of speech content that it committed itself to. You'd think it would be a load of students just want to play, you know, bands that were yet to be discovered. But it did commit itself to travel shows, news shows, a classical music show. It had something for everybody in theory, but given the number of listeners, actually... <laughs> something for very few except those delivering it and the cassette point let's just scroll forward here to your first actual shows so within about four days i had recorded this first taped travel show a leisurely approach with james brokenshaw and we recorded it about four in the afternoon because I think James was going out that evening. <laughs> you know, that's also a, a part of university radio life. M Mike Penny was what we called the tech op or the TO, which means he was pressing the buttons. I was sat the other side with James and I said to Mike Penny, fade this Peruvian music up, then fade it down when I give you the signal and then fade it back in at the end. And I did this eight minute monologue, which began three weeks in peru and every day could have been my last and they had no idea how to introduce me they called me tony horn nobody had ever done that before wow and i was accepted immediately but of course i did that to get on the air and like a lot of people that turned up at the university radio station despite its brilliant and award-winning speech output we wanted to play the hits and alex Pro preload in your brain your first experience of running the desk but my first show again what a commitment from the station manager mike penny there was a, in a previous era where all the shows or some of the shows were named after drinking so the breakfast show was called the morning after and the late night show was called last order so last orders which ran for many years at 11 o'clock and mike penny pressed the buttons for me till two in the morning because I hadn't trained to be on the air. And if you've had a career in radio, people will ask you about certain moments. I've kept very little archive. I don't know what songs I played when. The only two songs I can remember are, I think I started with a cassette version of the full length American Pie and then Phil Collins, Another Day in Paradise. 
And as we record in October 2023, it's probably 34 years roughly to the day that that happened. My memory, like another day in paradise, starts to fade. So, Alex, when when did you hit the airwaves? And were you on your own? Did you have technical operator? And who had trained you to get there? It's a very good question because I didn't hit the airwaves for quite a while. So I mentioned on, on day one on campus, it was the Sunday afternoon, uh, was walking around, made a beeline for the radio station. And within seconds, I was sat down, headphones on with a microphone, being interviewed by the late James Brokenshire. But I didn't appear on air again until the following March. In the meantime, I had seven weeks of training with a presenter called Steve Goucher, who was in the year above me who I believe might even still live in Exeter. He certainly was 10 years ago. He, he lived for, for, for decades, never left Exeter. And the university radio station, URE, took it very seriously. You couldn't go on air, really. Uh, you certainly couldn't operate the desk, the mixer, unless you'd had seven weeks training and you needed to turn up to the wall. And considering that we were an amateur student radio station with perhaps... 30 or 40 listeners at a time i think i think that's what the surveys tended to tell us we took it very seriously <laughs> compare that to uh, the summer of 91 when i i got an internship with a with a radio station um in san diego which was one of the biggest most successful radio stations in southern california huge audience coming out of a, a 250,000 watt transmitter on the mexican border and i'd, I'd be in there talking to the to the presenter and he'd say Oh, I just need to nip out for five minutes. Can you can you run the desk for <laughs> five ten minutes? And I said, um, "Yeah, okay. I've, I've never been trained on this desk, but you know that was in at the deep end." So there I was on one of Southern California's most influential stations. Just I, I'm there, and it comes to the end of the CD, and I need to pay a jingle. I need to pay a station ident, and and then another CD. And I totally messed up the first time because nobody had ever showed me how to do it with University Radio Exeter. You have seven weeks training, drilling, and if you're not ready after seven weeks, I seem to recall there was a test. If you're not ready for your test, then you carry on. I trained a couple of people, one of which uh, became a relationship, the very ex that took me a long time to get over. I won't mention her name yet. But Steve Goucher trained me, and the first record that he trained me on was one of his favorites at the time. It was Ram Jam, Black Betty. <laughs> and he sat down he said right put it put it on the turntable and, and there were two techniques and to play a record you had to you, you could start it from the mixer i mean you, you can just put it the old-fashioned way put it on the platter drop the needle on it and talk until the music starts so you, you know we, i'm sure we've all seen old film footage of radio caroline where they're they're on this this ship and a storm at sea and and they're just trying to keep the needle on the record um without it without it coming off whenever time whenever there's a big wave so you'd put the record the seven inch vinyl on the platter you'd put the needle on the record and you'd run it until the music starts and then you'd stop it and then you'd take it back two thirds of a turn so that when you're ready to start the piece of music you press a button on the mixing console and with two thirds of a turn, that's enough time for it to get up to full speed at 45 RPM. If you've only got a little bit of a turn, then it goes. So it was a very specific instruction. And you were shown how to do that. You were shown how to set microphone levels. Don't push <laughs> the needle too much into the red. How to use Revox reel to reel quarter inch tape machines. 
carts, how to play off cassette, record onto cassette, um, and how to, to, to read the news off CFAX. Remember CFAX, pot pickers? <laughs> yeah. Showing our age there. So we eloquently read the, the weather forecast, which was off CFAX, and it was perennially talking about southwesterly winds. And I remember whenever you used to do that, you say, and tonight there's going to be southwesterly winds, my favourite. And you just get little things like that. Like, Nick Thatcher's Peking Memorial just became little catchphrases that would just get, get dropped in because even if it was just to make the other person in the studio laugh, it made it fun. And radio should be fun. But we did take it very seriously. And we did have a lot of speech content, as you said. Nick Thatcher, who I've mentioned a couple of times now, had a, a, a weekly magazine program. I always forget if it's called Agenda or Arena. I think it was both at some point. The chocolate teapot, what was that? The show you can take home to meet your parents. We had a load of great content. We had the rock show, as you said, there's the, the, the classical show. Simon Vigar, who we will talk later in connection with, with Sex FM, is now the Royal Correspondent on Channel 5, has been for years. He introduced Jazz 963. Brilliant. So Simon Vigar that Alex mentioned there, is a very interesting character, hugely influential in my career. But what Vigs had was a different perspective in that he'd already worked in professional radio. And Vigs brought a professionalism to the radio station that would probably irritate many of the people there from the way he presented his journalistic skills and his production values. Still in love with the X. Alex talks about the training to go on air. In many ways, that represents so many things that are true in real life radio. And that is that there are walls and obstacles for you to overcome, to make progress. But then suddenly, at a moment's notice, all the rules and principles can be thrown out of the window, as Alex described at San Diego's 91X. The way that you got paired with a trainer was completely random. I was trained by a lovely guy, Paul Collette, who I think presented a folk show. Now, you can imagine, with all my ambitions and having done bedroom radio, all I wanted to do was, as we would say, jock the hell out of everything. And to my amazement, Going back to the original point, what was the university radio that we found when we arrived? It would be on the air in the morning and then be off the air till about four or five in the afternoon and carry Radio One during the day, which was a strange arrangement. And I thought, well, the sooner that we can diminish those Radio One hours, the better. And we did in time. But there was a connection to Radio One. And I do want to talk about uh, Dave Hills for a while. Now, Dave Hills is an interesting character because he cuts across many generations outside of the three, four-year cycle of university life. And he also ran the warehouse and boxes, which we will talk about next time. But Hilsey was always on the air the first week of term and was very, very good at first impressions. Now, I don't quite know the story, but he had some connection. I believe it was his father to Radio 1. And Hilsey would come on the air, and he had all these jingles made by Steve Wright in the afternoon. 
And there were some Radio 1 jingles in the studio. So you can imagine, you know, as a teenager desperate to get out of oppressive school systems, loving radio and not much else in those years, Radio 1 in particular and Capital Radio in London uh, for me, to arrive in a radio studio that had Radio 1 jingles in it and someone who had introductions to his show along the lines of, Hello, this is Steve Wright in the afternoon, and you're listening to Dave Hills. And Dave Hills did something which Alex probably would have got immediately, but probably took me some time to fathom. So in the last episode, Alex explained how he first heard university radio in the supermarket. And Hillsy would do this thing. <laughs> he would go, all the presenters would say, this is URE 963, Burks, Martin, Dariad, Lopez, and Nefrauda. And Hilsey would go, and over here by the tins in the supermarket, and over here by the drinks in the supermarket, or something like that. And as Alex said, the only place you could hear the radio station in stereo was the supermarket. And he would, what would he do, Alex? He would flick what we call the, the pan button. It's, yes, it's, it's, it's just, uh, a variable resistor if you turn it to the left it comes out the left left speaker turns to the right comes out the right in fact anybody who had a um a, a music system at home uh, in the 80s 90s they tended to have a, a balance control on them so if you wanted more coming out the left speaker because of where it's positioned or more at the right speaker you could set that people don't really seem to bother so much about balance or graphic equalizers these days it's it's just what it is but in in the 70s and 80s there were a lot of amateur audio files People like me, I mean, you, you grew up uh, listening to a lot of Capital Radio, listening to a lot of Radio 1. We all listened to Radio 1, but I was the person who was constantly playing with tape machines. I used to <laughs> love reel-to-reel tape machines. My grandfather had really great uh, tape decks, about three of them, I think. And it was, it, was all, it was all very exciting because it was double the width of cassette and it played at twice the speed or four times the speed. So it was higher quality and you had a tape deck that had a separate recording head and a playback head so you could record something off the radio press a button and you you hear it with a second delay what's just recorded so you can check the tapes getting it down properly and if you then whack up another button then you get an echo endless fun so i was like thomas dolby for people old enough to remember him <laughs> Science. the reason he got the nickname dolby at school was because he was always playing with tape recorders and so he ended up using the name thomas dolby and and dolby laboratories ended up trying to take him to court saying you're not allowed to use the name dolby and he said well, well why not you should be honored that i'm calling myself thomas dolby and they said okay we realize we're not going to win this dave hills uh, is an important character to mention if you know anything about the continuity of the university radio station you will perhaps be aware of uh, a dear friend of ours also departed called John the Frog. Now, I think in time we will dedicate huge amounts of our podcast to Frog, but safe to say at this point that these two individuals are quite unique in that they outgrow that three-year, four-year university cycle. And one of the points that we made in a previous episode was that old adage, you should try and leave things in a better place than you found them. 
And if you look at the fact that University Radio finally got out from under the steps of Devonshire House, which was one of those conversations that would be weekly, and you think this is never going to go anywhere, you go back to campus a few years later, and they have. And they got themselves on FM, etc. And talking about that carrying Radio 1 during the day, one thing that I was really keen was that there would be more continuity, more what we call in the business stripped shows, which means the same people do the same shows at every time. But it can't be done without those people like Dave Hills and John the Frog who pass the baton and knowledge from one generation uh, to the other. And, of course, one of the flaws in knowledge being passed verbally and based on anecdotes, which is very much part of the URE way of learning, is that you learn a hell of a lot very quickly, but you also learn bad habits. And one of the bad habits, which to this day, probably many people that were on university radio don't even know, is we call it something slightly different in radio, but fader tossing. <laughs> yep. Which essentially, you got your level for your song, you dip your level on the music to speak, and then you speak. But most people would dip the level right down so the audio couldn't be heard of the music underneath them and then they'd whack it i said whack it right back up and let the music play again it's a meaningless exercise many people in professional radio have done it for years and don't even realize it's one of the bad bad habits of university radio exeter i introduce you to the fader tossing and it's incredibly annoying to listen to. Using the mixing desk is basically what it is. Fader tossing is the perfect word for it. And a mistake that a lot of URE presenters, expression presenters have made over the years is wanting to sound like the person who's big on Radio 1 at the time. So in our day, a lot of us maybe were trying to sound like Steve Wright. If we were more into our music, we'd want to sound more like John Peel or Steve Lamack or Pete Tong. And that's not what student radio should be. It should be not trying to copy what's on the other side it should be about being innovative and we had diversity we had a real music mix we had chart music we had your, your phil collins your delamitri but we also had the more serious indie music stone roses happy mondays that kind of thing uh, the smiths new order and it's all indie music one of the issues with finding yourself on the radio working out who you're going to be is this notion that you will decide you like what someone has done and you'll take a bit of that and you go through several personalities and they say at the end of it many years later you finally work out who you're going to be as a broadcaster now i know the point that that process ended for me so i started on professional radio the first summer at university radio 1990 but it was 9 11 that changed everything and the need to speak on the radio and you draw then on your instincts which were evident from the very first days and that huge amount of speech that we talked about but what i think is really important returning to this original question what we found when we got there university radio was a bland radio station despite its huge portfolio and what i mean by that is that the music the mainstream music i mean i was playing there you go i played american pie 
and we're playing Neil Diamond. And there seemed to be, maybe it's something in the demographic of Exeter University students that the music choices, of course, you heavily influenced by your parents, but maybe there's a certain Exeter University parent that meant that we did go out and buy the top 10 singles from our price at a time when the the charts actually meant something, had lasting value. You get a number one that's there for 16 weeks rather than 16 minutes. But we played in the mainstream. And on that basis, I would consider University Radio Exeter to have been a failure. Now, there were some people that did come along with their indie hats on. A nod to Simon James, who I know is listening in Victoria, and uh, a chap called Ivan Todd, who almost fought against the system and his you know, quest to be indie. But University Radio Exeter should have been like what the old evening programs were on Radio 1 with Janice Long and John Peel. And they shouldn't have been daytime mainstream radio, but they were. It was the blandest of blands. Now, when Alex also talked about the training earlier, there's a massive absence in the training, as it's all handed down from generation to generation, that really could come a cropper when a radio station broadcasts outside the loop of the campus transmitter and broadcasts to a wider berth like FM, like Expression had been doing in the last few years. And that is there is no legal training. Now, Alex mentioned earlier, uh, former station manager Malcolm Taylor's definition of what was copyright, etc., what was okay to broadcast. And I've heard that story many times from many people, and that's the point. Same story, wrong information, widely distributed. Yep. And, you know, again, many years in radio, I reckon I've only attended about three or four legal trainings. You're not likely to get yourself into a scrape on University Radio Exeter. I was later given the advice, don't annoy the man that runs the corner shop, but you probably can have a pop at Michael Jackson. <laughs> yes. Now, if you, if you take that li literally in the – your most dangerous libels are probably uh, an immediate locality, then – Potentially a university radio station. And bear in mind, this radio station was under the, under the Ram bar. Potentially you can, you can run havoc. And a couple of things that I just, I want to stop at these little stories before we finish up today. In 1990, I came back to Exeter for five weeks and then went to do my year in Italy, which was crazy. I started at Rome University the 5th of November, finished at Padova University 31st of May and came back to Exeter. And I, it was agony that year because all I wanted to do was the radio station. But whilst I was away, I had recorded, or before I was away, I had recorded a series of shows essentially to fill the schedule because whilst you're training people in that first term you have gaps in the schedule it's an eternal problem for a program controller of the radio station so 
Off the top of your head, Alex, does the name Lucy Tong mean anything to you? Only very vaguely, and she, she's not Pete Tong's daughter, I take it. Um, I, I recognise the name, but I couldn't tell you anything about Lucy Tong whatsoever. So I get word in Italy that there's been a letter in Expose, the university magazine stroke paper. I remember now, yes. I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> there's been a letter complaining in Expose, the university paper, about the show Campus Classics, which I put out, I think, midday on a Saturday. But I'm in Italy. And I played the theme from MASH, Suicide is Painless. And Lucy Tong, despite the fact that this record had been played around the world millions of times for many, many years, took issue with the notion that suicide isn't painless and therefore a radio station shouldn't be playing it. Well... Of course, I say that in the context of 1990 and the context of 2023, where you almost can't do anything these days. But I'll defend the right to play that on the radio. But that I've never forgotten because somebody was so troubled or irritated, and it takes a lot to do this, that they wrote a letter to the student paper. And... I don't know what my legal nouse was at that point. I don't, this is not a legal issue. You have the right to play that record. But again, with a professional career ahead, that was a really, really weird moment. But I suppose when we address the 20 or 30 listeners, and none of us know who Lucy Tong was, then somebody outside the inner circle was listening and that's a relevant point too and that's very telling it shows that we had an audience but no radio is free speech and of course there are guidelines and ure again took things seriously i remember someone called mike pass who was never going to be uh remembered that fondly as, as, a, as a dynamic presenter he just made some offhand remark to effing foreigners sorry effing foreigners and immediately <laughs> got a lifetime ban from the station one strike wow. you're out you can't, you can't say that i don't remember i remember the name yeah first time in 30 odd years i don't remember that well the wow. program controller was was called grony landowski and she was very strict about this kind of thing and she didn't take kindly to, to somebody insulting our our foreign student population of which there were were many you were allowed to be rude about students from st luke's lukey's I remember I had the, I had the ex university symphony orchestra drop in the studio one time. They were talking about the orchestra, which was actually a superb orchestra. We both know people who are in that orchestra. Wasn't vision. that level of rudeness encouraged? <laughs> well, yes. So I asked the question. So, you know, you're open to people to, to apply and, and can people from St. Luke's apply to join the orchestra? And the response was brilliant. It was, yes, they can apply, although we'd rather they didn't. <laughs> There's always been this rivalry between the main campus and then St. Luke's, which is the educational college. And then you've got St. Lloyd's, which I think was where nurses train uh, the butt of many jokes and the rag mag. That's something to return to. Wow. But, you know, freedom of speech, there are things that are appropriate on the radio and things that aren't. And I think people have the right to complain. And the fact that that song, the theme from MASH, including the refrain, Suicide is Painless, 
obviously an emotive subject. People who've been through the Vietnam War, many of them will have just wanted to give up because it's less painful not to be there than it is to live with the post-traumatic stress disorder, we've now called it, of being in a war. So it's a very strong song, which the record company chose to release at the time. And it was played for many years on radio stations all around the world. And there was no fuss about that until Lucy Tong wrote in to complain about campus classics. You mentioned St. Lloyd's. I mean, I've never uh, even thought of that. I couldn't even tell you where it was in Exeter. You mentioned St. Luke's. I don't even think I've ever been to St. Luke's. And then Alex, of course, mentioned uh, a character, Mike, that I've forgotten about. And, well, if someone, you know how the world is, someone happens to connect us to Lucy Tong, uh, do you think after maybe three and a half decades we could just draw the slate clean on that? Just one other similar, similar thing. And it also, when you talk about lack of training, the lack of training can manifest itself also in the way that you overreact. Now, Alex talked about Gronje there, uh, of Irish-Polish descent. Um, we did go on FM in November 1991 for two weeks, and I was doing the breakfast show. And it was an interesting time because uh, the Mirror newspaper group was under some scrutiny, and the pension scheme that was on Robert Maxwell's watch was also hitting the buffers. Robert Maxwell fell into the sea off a yacht off the Canary Islands. And that morning I remarked on the air something along the lines of, well, there's no need to go overboard on this. <laughs> And there was a lunchtime meeting every Monday at one o'clock and, and, you know, Frog, our dear friend, wise counsel of fewer words than more, say somebody who should know better. I can't remember the rest of the sentence, but in brackets said something they shouldn't have this morning. I think that despite all of Frog's experience and he wasn't into delivering uh jokey satirical speech content whilst he could be a very funny man i think that shows that you don't know what you're doing there's nothing wrong with that comment about maxwell in fact i wish more people had satirized him but two early little markers there of the muddying of the general waters rather than those specific off the Canary Islands. Perhaps lesser wander up Stocker Road towards the steps of Devonshire House, more a trip down memory lane. And next time, the warehouse and boxes, an iconic place, a memory shared universally for many years. Until then, times of joy and times of sorrow will always see it through. I don't care what comes tomorrow, we can face it together, the way old friends do. For more on this podcast, head over to secretsofaghostwriter.com. Still in Love with the X is a Horny Media and Publishing production.